say you're ready and then are like in the middle of chores <laughs> I'm ready I'm ready yeah I was like racing you to get some extra dishes done because it's been it's been a crazy weekend and I haven't had a chance to do dishes in a couple of days and I just saw a baby cockroach and I was like oh god it's happening again oh no So I panicked and was like no time to do at least some dishes. Also, I ran out of clean cat dishes, and I'm sorry, Mushu. I said I was gonna feed you, and I didn't. Let oh, me do no. that really quickly. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and do it. Oh my gosh, you could have told me. I was just playing Stardew Valley, and I had to like tear myself away from it. So I was like, Julia says she's ready. She said she's ready like ten minutes ago. I should stop <laughs> playing. <laughs> no, it's good because if I had, oh, Chuni. <sighs> Uh oh. <laughs> no, he just like hopped in my fridge as soon as I opened it, which is mm. my favorite thing for him to do because then he just lays in the bottom of the fridge and I have to keep it open for him. <laughs> yep, and if you try to pull him out, then like hair gets all over your fridge and you're like, mm, that's yeah, really and gross. Also, he takes like half of my condiments out with him. <laughs> yeah, Franklin does that too. It's super annoying. Yeah. Okay, uh, feeding Mushu now. Sorry that took so long, but Chuni decided as I was heating up the food that he also wanted some. <laughs> oh, God. Do they Which, eat different like, things? Well, Chuni's not much of a wet food eater, so what I generally do is, like, as I'm opening the can, I'll, like, take a tiny spoonful out and put it on a plate for him, and then it'll, like, get him out of the way while I feed Mushu the rest of the can. But oh, fair. sometimes he does want a little bit more. So, like, yeah. every once in a while, I'll just dump the whole can out and let Chuni eat first and give Mushu the leftovers. Because, honestly, <laughs> it's the same as giving Chuni a tiny spoonful. He just likes having, like, all of it on the plate. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Franklin's a little bit like that, too, actually. We always say they're so similar. Franklin, like, barely. We still do, like, the split a can between the three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then le- just leave out dry food all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Franklin, like, always seems so excited about the wet food. And then he eats, like, a quarter of what we give that, give, like, all of them. And then we just let Murphy and Shadow, like, steal between the rest of his stuff. But mm-hmm. lately, he's been pulling this, like, hilarious move lately. He'll, they'll all be eating. And then he'll actually finish first. Well, he finishes first because I've been giving him a little bit less, kind of like you. Of, like, you don't mm-hmm. actually eat all of this. So I'm not going to give you all of it. But I think he actually has been feeling like, oh, hey, that's a little bit less. Because he started doing this ridiculous move where he goes over to either uh, Shadow or Murphy. And he just pull, puts his paw on, like, casually on top of their bowl. And then just like a cartoon, like, scoots it towards him. <laughs> Mushu does that with his water. Really? Yeah. He'll, like, scoot his water bowl towards him. And so, like... I have it next to my bed, underneath my bedside table, like where my I have my plants. Uh-huh. And every time I go to change it, it's like on the other side of the bed because Mushu <laughs> has scooted it 
all the way like under the bed to the other side. <laughs> oh my god, that doesn't like get water everywhere. It does get water everywhere. <laughs> oh great. Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. But the other thing that I do with Chuni sometimes that actually Franklin might like, um, I started getting, because I usually get the little Fancy Feast cans. Oh, yeah. The smaller ones. Mm-hmm. But um, because I only have two cats to split between. <laughs> but I've been getting the, they're like the pouches recently. Oh. And um, I don't know if you have, I think this is a giant brand, the like Nature's Promise. Oh yeah, that seems vaguely familiar. Yeah, so I they have a pouch that works for both of my cats because it's like kind of these like like rectangular chunks of meat patty. They're like really small. They're like fingernail size, like little chunks of meat yeah. in like a gravy. Oh. And Mushu does really well with those chunks because he can like pick them up really easily. I feel like sometimes with the cans he like leaves bits all yeah. around because he can't get it all. Yeah, so, same. Yeah, so Mushu does really well with those chunks because they're easy to like grab and pick up and eat. And Chuni loves the gravy. So what I end up doing is like draining the gravy out for Chuni <laughs> and then giving Mushu all the chunks of food. Oh my god, all of this just goes towards the fact that cats are so high-maintenance. They're super high-maintenance, but that, I think, works the best out of my wet food routines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does sound like a good routine. You sound like you have it down. Yeah, I feel like that one's down, except that I always feel bad if Chuni like, is super into it, because I'm like, oh, maybe you wanted actual food instead of just broth? Like, should I give you chunks? But then he always turns his nose up at them, or, like, eats a couple and, like, leaves the rest. Oh, yeah. I always feel so guilty giving Franklin less because I'm already, like, not giving them a ton of wet food. It's just, like, kind of in addition to the dry food we give them. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, yeah, it's, like, it's just all over the map. It's, like, the times when I give him more, he doesn't eat it. And the times when I give him less, he's, like, pawing at everyone else's. So it's, like, I don't know what you want, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know. I feel bad, too. But then I remember that they... I also leave out dry food and I'm like, why am I catering to your whims I know. like twice a day? You have food 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah. And like ours too will like noisily crunch it, crunch them at night. And they're like always just going through that dry food. So I know they're eating it too. It's not like yeah. they're not getting enough to eat. Yeah, no, for sure. Both of my cats are like completely fine and like well fed and never, well, I can't say they're never hungry, but they never go hungry. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the segue here is cats. <laughs> yes, cats and how scary their routines are. Scary, scary. You know, scary I the amount of work we have to do. Yeah. I'm a I'm not impressed with the level of scary that this book is so far. You know, I actually was going to say that too. So far, I've been able to kind of hold it down. I haven't been like too spooked it's just been like on the perfect spook level but you know what I okay so John and I were talking about it so John's a huge Stephen King fan also welcome to paranormal captivity oh, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> we're reading a new Sorry. book <laughs> somewhere in there we transitioned from the clanking dishes to we're actually speaking <laughs> to everyone now um welcome we're so glad you're here in spooky season it is Woo! October, October. spooktober it is spooktober um, wow. We are super scary, and we're trying to scare ourselves by reading *Pet Cemetery* by Stephen King. 
Pet Cemetery, which honestly, I'm more worried about being like a tragedy instead of like a scary story because I know the cat's about to die. It's like not a secret. It's in the like description of the book and I like don't want it to happen. (laughs) It's like on the cover of my book. Like my book cover has like a cat with like a big cat face with a cemetery and like blood running down its face. So it's like not. We know it's going to happen. So prepare yourselves. It hasn't happened in this section yet. Yeah, so we read, um, these chapters are kind of short. They're more like sections. So we read um, up to section 21. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so far it has been like perfectly spooky, but with like a little, definitely some like like heavier kind of moments here and there. But I, I was going to say, I was talking to John, who's a huge Stephen King fan. He's like read all of his stuff. And he was actually the one who I I think he was the one who had originally said to me that this was the book that Stephen King had initially called his scariest, but apparently I got that wrong. It's not scariest. It's actually the one he thinks is the bleakest. Mm. So I think you might be right (laughs) in that this is going to be the most like kind of darkly tragic. Apparently he wasn't, um, John said, according to John, uh, he was saying that this was the last book Stephen King wrote under this specific publisher or contract mm-hmm. or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And so he wrote it really fast. Stephen King's apparently a notoriously fast writer, especially when he's on cocaine. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Which apparently he was for a long portion of his writing career. And um, I don't know if he was on for this or not, but um, he apparently wrote the book Pet Cemetery really fast. And then I guess he like John was saying he didn't like the ending. And the, but because the the publisher or the lat the contract or whatever it was he needed to deliver one more book, he kind of hastily gave it and was like, I think I would have thought up a better ending, <laughs> basically, oh, if no. I had had time or if I cared more about the publisher. But it wasn't that he didn't like he didn't not like the book. I think he just kind of I think in the way that like any creative person is like, ooh, that could have been better, but I just had to turn mm-hmm. it in. And I think yeah. especially because he was like, I want to get out of this contract or whatever it was that he like yeah. turned in and was like oh that was pretty dark <laughs> <laughs> it's like my uh my picture from yesterday that I was like I don't have time for this I hate it but I want to post a picture for you all <laughs> oh yeah Julia give us a Halloween Halloween advent update oh Halloween advent yeah so it's only been six days and it feels like a hundred <laughs> Yeah, this is a big commitment. (laughs) It's a big commitment, but it's also, like, I should have done more prep work, and I don't know why I didn't. (laughs) I mean, it felt like like you did a lot of prep work. Every time I talked to you, you were at Goodwill buying more clothes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but I should have, like, I don't know what I should have done. I guess I should have, like, done full costume buys at a time. I feel like I bought so many like pieces and then I like don't have full costumes of anything so it's like always a little bit of a struggle to get something together that's literally how I grocery shop I just get like random things of things then I get home and I'm like I can't make one fucking meal with this like $70 (laughs) worth of groceries I just bought (laughs) yeah no exactly (laughs) yeah so some of them have worked out better than others. Yesterday, I struggled pretty hard, but I also had, like, a very busy day. And also, let me just divulge a little secret. Yesterday was supposed to be a different costume <gasps> that I w- will end up doing eventually this month, so I won't give oh, it away. Oh, God, okay. 
But um, I, I like got everything together, put it on. And it's like, it was a weekend costume because it's casual. Like it's not work. I mean, it's not like an inappropriate costume. It's just not like. It's not a pencil skirt. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I put it on and took Chuni for a walk with my coffee and spilled coffee all over myself <laughs> during the walk. Yeah, I was Aww. walking with my mug of coffee. I was walking Chuni and I can't remember what happened, but he got scared and jerked <laughs> and like ran and jerked Aww. the leash. And so I spilled coffee all over my sweater <laughs> oh, and was no. like, oh man, like I don't have any <laughs> other costumes prepared. <laughs> I like hadn't taken the picture yet, so I couldn't even like pretend uh-huh. that I wore it all day long. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so I had to change really fast, which is another reason why it was, like, hastily put together. Well, I have been very impressed, to say the least. And I think it's also partially your acting skills, because every picture is, like, just the perfect little copy of the picture that you've sent. The, like, oh, original thanks. picture of the character. Yeah, I feel like that really sells it, because otherwise not all of the costumes would, like, look a whole lot like the character, but I feel like once you pose like them and put the pictures together, it's like, oh yeah, nailed it, even if it, like, (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't look good in real life. So what you're saying is you're tricking all of us. (laughs) I'm tricking all of you. (laughs) Yes, but... I was happy with the one I I did today. I feel like that one was a little bit of a redemption picture. Yeah, I haven't posted it yet. I'll post it now. Which, honestly, guys, I sort of wish... What we're doing for you with Pet Cemetery is honestly what I wish that anyone would do for me with, like, anything horror-related. Because as much as I love... I love, I just, there's something about, I love hearing the storylines of everything super scary. Like I love all of October. I love spooky everything, Mm -hmm. but I love it to the level that's like, you know, I'm only towing into some of the, the like real horror stuff. And like, I just love when people explain full plot lines of like the scariest shit to me so that I don't have to partake of it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's so fascinating. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. And those themes and blah, blah, blah. But like actually going through it is like horrifying. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's the whole point. But no, honestly, that's exactly how I feel with any like book or movie with like any extreme emotion in it. <laughs> Like, if it's going to get too sad, if it's going to get too scary, if it's going to get too awkward, like, I don't want to deal with it, but I do want to know what's going on. (laughs) So we read cozy mysteries, which are not too much of either. (laughs) Yeah, just kind of like generic feel good. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's how I like it. That's the the level of emotion I can handle experiencing in my life. Well, you are so correct, because like this book so far, I first of all, I have actually never read a Stephen King book before. I have to admit. Yeah, me neither. This is my first one. Yeah, this is both of our first ones. Yeah, um, and to be honest, it's like a little too real book for me. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because I had the opposite thought where I was like, oh my gosh, it's been so long since I've read a real book. I, I like was like reading it being like, this is real <laughs> writing. <laughs> yeah. Excellent writer. Which is like, not my, I mean, it's I feel like it's the difference between, like, a really good, like, well-thought-out, like, movie that makes you, like, think and, you know, you connect with the characters versus, like, a trashy TV show. Mm, Like, yes, definitely. In in movie form, I can do either. In book form, I only want the trashy TV show. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. Fair point. Fair. (laughs) 
and I think I just I mean I really do go through cycles of like you know reading a ton and like reading really you know literature or like fiction or just like Mm -hmm. different stuff and like yeah I like always forget how much I really get out of that because like man some of the things in here that he you know even just the way that the writing even just like the sentence structure is like Mm -hmm. I was like oh this is like he is truly the writer he has cracked up to be <laughs> yeah and the foreshadowing oh my gosh that um the one line at the very beginning when um uh the main character is meeting his neighbor across the street who has lived there his whole life and the neighbor um is talking about the pet cemetery and he says oh you know it's only worth planting corpses there not anything else and it's like ooh, planting wow. what a terrible and foreshadowy word to use <laughs> yeah <laughs> But should we get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. Okay, so we are in Maine in fall, which is great because it is very New Englandy. Um, as he Stephen King lives in New England, I think a lot of his writing centers around New England. And it starts with the Creed family. Oh God, excuse me, I'm about to burp. I've been drinking a lot of pumpkin cider. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, Oh, yeah. So, okay. So it starts with the Creed family driving into Maine uh, from Chicago. Mm -hmm. Lewis, the father, has taken up. uh, He just got a job at the University of Maine uh, as a he's a doctor. So he's like working the infirmary and like, I guess, like kind of like an on campus doctor type situation. Yeah. Um, and they are on the road. They are driving in to their new house in Ludlow, Maine. Yes. And this is like a really old timey house. Like it seems very, you know, Victorian and like wood floors and kind of old, really old. And apparently he's had a bunch of different ones to pick from. And this is the one that he's picked. And they kind of have, like, a rocky start because they're, like, pulling in. And uh, as they're pulling in, they've, like, lost the keys to the house. And the movers are right behind them. And, like, they they have two kids. So it's Louis, the dad, Rachel, the mom. Mm -hmm. And then Gage is, I think he's, like, a toddler. He's, like, two-ish. He's, like, just starting to talk. Two? Yeah. I guess that's maybe. Yeah, maybe younger. Maybe just, like, just starting to crawl around. Yeah, I think because they still like carry him in like a little backpacky thing. Oh, that's true. He's not like fully running around but yet. I don't think, yeah. yeah, I don't think he's quite walking yet, but he's he's baby. Yeah, yeah, he's like very baby, baby. And um, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting her name? The little girl, Ellie. Ellie. Yeah, I think her full name is like Ellen or Eleanor or something like that, but they call her Ellie. Yes. Um, and she is going into kindergarten. So this is fall. So like mm-hmm. everything's about to start up. They've come in like beginning of September, um, right as right before school is about to start um, for both Lewis and um, Ellie. And as they pull up to this house, it's like everything chaotic starts happening. Like Ellie is like all the kids are screaming like. Lewis is like fantasizing about just leaving his entire family and driving to Disney World <laughs> by himself. Um, and uh, sort of as everything is like happening, and then of course, like they get out and they can't find the keys. And Ellie, like, you know, scrapes her knee and is bleeding and uh, is like kind of screaming because she doesn't want it. he's a doctor. So he's like, okay, I have to, you know, do the. She's like, don't put the stingy stuff on it. I hate it. And he's <laughs> like, I'm going to do it. 
And so the this couple comes out from across the street and uh, the well, at first it's just Judd. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think both of them come out. I think it's just the the man at first. Yeah. So Judd is this old, older gentleman. He is in his 80s, but he definitely they only find that out a little later. He definitely doesn't seem it. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Judd. And he has lived in Ludlow his entire life. He's kind of been around and knows the entire town and the area and just everything so well. Um, So he immediately helps everyone. He's like, all right, I got a spare key for you. I can, you know, go just we'll take the kids across the street. Like while you look for, you know, or like help the movers, the movers are like pulling in. And uh, so he kind of instantly is this like they even say it like Stephen King even writes it saying that, um, Lewis looks at him like, oh, this is the father I should have had. I mm-hmm. didn't. I don't think his. I think his father died young, or I don't know yeah, that we he, Like, yeah, there was a little like backstory in the beginning. I think he didn't grow up with a father, and like, I th- he might have like left early, or like maybe he had a stepdad, but like he never like connected with him, or like he just never had a father figure. Yeah, and this was like he kind of even has like a like a love at first sight moment with Judd and he's like mm-hmm. this is definitely the father I should have had like I yeah. he's already like immediately so engrossed in him and uh even to the point where that night so they all they do end up like in their house kind of moved in everyone settled down and Judd has invited him across the street he's like I just sit on my porch and I have a beer every night so you're always welcome and Lewis initially has kind of the the more cynical reaction, which is like, oh, he probably just wants me. He's probably just saying that. He probably just wants me to come over to, like, diagnose all of their illnesses. But he does end up going anyway, and he is not asked anything like that. And he ends up feeling kind of bad that he assumed that. Mm-hmm. But it does turn out he, well, I guess a little bit later, but um, maybe he finds out that night. I can't really remember. But Norma, Judd's wife, does have really bad uh, rheumatoid arthritis and is, like, really struggling with it. Yeah, it kind of seems like, I mean, they describe Judd a couple of times of as, like, he looks like he's 80, but he, like, looks and seems like he's 60. I feel like Norma mm-hmm. is described a little bit in the opposite direction, where, like, she may yeah. be the same age, but she's, like, really struggling with arthritis, but also, like, other health issues in general. So she's not quite as, like, spry and lively. Right, for sure. Yeah, and there are a couple moments, too, I don't know if you, like, thought this or maybe I'm just like too on edge like waiting for something (laughs) to be revealed but I there were a couple times where I was like I feel like Judd knows something about the cemetery already or maybe is like somehow involved in like I feel like there's a there has to be a reason that he's that maybe there doesn't I don't know but I kind of read into it being like I wonder if there's a reason he is so young for young seeming for his age Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. We haven't we, we haven't discovered any secrets about Judd yet. Just that he is young for his age and knows a lot about the town. Yes. How much um, he knows, we don't know yet. <laughs> that's true. We don't know yet, but he does seem very kind of like hinty, like a little ominousy at times. But it, it's also we're reading a horror book, so I might just be reading yeah. into everything. Right. <laughs> oh, speaking of reading into everything, we should also introduce you to this poor cat that is probably going to haunt us for the rest of our lives. Oh, yes. <laughs> so we do meet the cat right away too. His name is Winston Churchill and he's a large, like a big orange tabby cat. 
Um, and he is Ellie's. He is like firmly Ellie's. He like sleeps. He actually sleeps the same way Shadow sleeps with me, like in between my like uh, ankles, like Aww. in between my feet. Mm-hmm. Um, he sleeps with her every night. He is an indoor outdoor cat. Um, and they have this funny description. Uh, we find out actually, I think it's that night that they start talking about um, the road. Route 15 that's in between the Creed's house and the the um, uh, Crandall's house, Judd and Norma's. And apparently it's a pretty busy, just it's just, it's just like a two-lane road, but it's still like really busy. It's kind of a commuter route and a lot of truckers go through that way. And mm-hmm. so Judd's kind of initially saying like, oh, your cat, like, is he um, spayed? And then we get this whole long, like, inner monologue of uh, Lewis kind of talking to himself, being like, oh, man, that's a whole thing. Like, I, we really, we meant to, we even made an appointment, but I actually canceled it because he, like, goes into this whole thing about how he really liked the the way that church, they call him church, not the full Winston Churchill, um, but they liked he liked the way that church was kind of just like a strut strut around like a tomcat type, like sassy sort of guy. And he was like, it's not even fully that, you know, it's like, you know, connected to the male, you know, like, Oh, he's going to lose his balls or whatever. But he was like, I think he's just going to lose something about himself. If we do that, Mm. which I don't, I mean, I don't really believe that now, but I do wonder, this book was written back in the 70s, so I do wonder (laughs) if, like, maybe the procedures were a little bit different, and, like, I know my cats, my vet specifically was, like, they won't remember anything that happened, and, you know, any behavioral differences. I mean, I don't think I saw any behavioral differences with any of my cats. Yeah, Um, I didn't see any behavioral, well, Mushu came neutered, so I don't know what he was like before he was neutered. Maybe that was his traumatic event Yeah, (laughs) life, why he's so scared of everything. Um, But no, I I mean, I would assume that he just has anxiety. (laughs) Yeah, I think he, yeah. But Chuni, I was actually, like, kind of hoping it would calm him down (laughs) or, like, keep him from, like, wandering and being so wayward and, like destructive but it totally didn't like I don't think he changed at all after he was neutered either yeah and that's actually that's exactly why Judd Crandall's asking because he's saying oh like uh, you know earlier he actually went as they were pulling in Ellie had asked about a specific pathway leading out of their house and as she points Judd says oh that's the path up to the pet cemetery and that's sort of a nice walk and it's just well kept everyone kind of keeps it up that's like a local thing And that's kind of casual. It's just kind of mentioned in passing. And then they go inside. And then that night, as they're talking about the road and how busy it is, and Judd is saying, is your cat neutered? He and Lewis is saying, no, you know, unfortunately, he isn't neutered at this point. And Judd's saying, you might want to think about doing that because he's like, usually that kind of takes, you know, a little bit of the Tom out of the cat. And, you know, maybe he won't be be wanting to cross the road as much because he Judd basically is saying like, yeah, that this road is deceptively busy and it's taken a lot of pet lives, unfortunately, mm-hmm. which is really sad. And then also links it back to the pet cemetery, which he mentions again, kind of briefly, like we get a little bit even before we go in the section, we do actually get to hike up to the pet cemetery. Um, But even before we see it, we kind of get a few little details about, like, the local kids supposedly keep it up really well. They keep the whole path, you know, well kept. It's apparently like a mile hike up there, too. But they, you know, have um, 
are really dedicated to keeping it looking nice um, for all of their local pets. Yeah. Which is really sad. It's also, like, I don't think the cemetery is on their property, but, like, a good portion of that hike is on their property. So, like, I feel like their their little plot of land, like, goes really far. Yeah. In, like, one direction. And at some point, I think it was during the hike, Judd was talking about, like, just how far it went because the path is apparently kind of, like, the edge of, like, civilization. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, not in terms of, like, obviously there's civilization beyond it, but there's, like, a big swatch of, like, kind of, like, wilderness and forest um, beyond that path aside from, like, their houses. Yeah, and at one point, actually, we probably could just jump into the the hike, because I think that is one of the next biggest events in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it started are... off a little slow, to be honest. Yeah, I like, should have thinking that, too. Like, it's good writing, and there's a lot of detail, but it's not, like, necessarily a lot of stuff that I think will come up again. I think it's just, like, a lot of detail. Yeah, I think a lot of it... I mean, I kind of took it as like, because he is such a good writer and because he is so detailed and because he loves New England so much, there are a lot of details of like, yeah, the foliage and, mm-hmm. you know, the changing seasons and the way that, you know, mid, mid-September, mid one of the parts I really loved was the, it was talking about like, uh, they were in mid-September, but it was acting like August, even though August was like a couple weeks past and they're just like, it's like really poetic, the language. But yeah, it definitely yeah. is it's a little bit dense until, I mean, I wouldn't say dense because it is really quick to read too, mm-hmm. but there's just a lot of it when like. Yeah. And I think, I mean, again, the mark of a good author, like this is a lot more character development than we're used to. So I feel That's like true. This, <laughs> this section is like kind of getting like the backstories and getting like a lot of inner monologues and kind of getting like a feel for like who these people are which Mm -hmm. is not what we usually get in like the Lillian Jackson Braun book where you kind of like have brief conversations and get like snippets of personalities but you don't get like the actual feel for like the motivations behind the characters and like their childhoods and like you know all of that oh my god yeah from the very beginning you're seeing I mean, one of the first things you learn about Lewis is, which I was like, oh, I fucking hate this guy. But then he kind of redeemed himself was that he was thinking about slapping his daughter and then was like, oh, but no, I did. You know, obviously he didn't do it. And then I was like, oh, well, I guess how many parents like think that, but obviously don't do it. Like he now now is much different. But yeah, you definitely get like so much of the inner lives of these characters for sure. Um, And you know what I just realized, too, which is also maybe an ominous realization so for most of the first half of what we were reading, kind of right, like we said, even pat up to and past the hike, I was kind of thinking, oh, we're like kind of in the, you know, like in the beginning of a horror movie where it's like, oh, everything's all nice. Everyone's like getting together mm-hmm. and excited about camping and like we're, yeah. you know, just like packing up the car or, you know, whatever. It felt like just the beginning. But you know what? I wonder, too, if, like, even the things that now were kind of like, oh, those weren't so scary. I wonder if, honestly, even those things are actually still just, like, the eye, like, the, what is it, the calm before the storm? Yeah, no, <laughs> totally. I I absolutely think that is true. <laughs> um, I was also kind of wondering, I mean, I have also never read a Stephen King novel before, but I've seen... We're so illiterate. At, <laughs> at least one of the movies. Oh, you have? 
Well, I've definitely seen The Shining. That was him, right? Oh, right. I always forget that's him. I have seen The Shining. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like there might have been one other one that I saw. But anyway, at least in that movie, I feel like it was kind of like ominous, creepy for like the majority of the movie. And then like the last like very short section, it was like shit hit the fan real fast. (laughs) And then like everyone bolted and that was the end. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I kind of keep thinking there's going to be some, yes, I same, like similar, I was thinking the same thing of like, yeah. there's probably going to be some moment like three fourths of the way through where I'm already feeling kind of terrorized and then it's going to be like, oh, okay, because I literally even as we're sitting here, I was looking at the, um as we were talking through the uh, you feeding the cats earlier, I was looking at the back of the pull quotes. And one of the quotes, I mean, most of them are saying like, the most frightening novel Stephen King has ever written. Wild, powerful, disturbing. Like all of them are saying how disturbing it is, and I'm like, yeah, okay, we haven't we haven't reached anything yet. <laughs> no, I don't think we have. Oh God. Well, good luck to us all. Um... Good luck to us all. Yeah, I think it'll stay like. I mean, honestly, I didn't really think anything in this section was super creepy, but I also read it like in the morning time. I feel like I will never read this past dark because I think there were sections in this part that like if I had read it past dark I would have gotten really weirded out I purposely last night was like oh fuck I have to read for tomorrow and then was like nope it's after dark I'm just gonna play Stardew Valley for 17 more hours (laughs) absolutely not no thank you Stephen King not in the nighttime (laughs) nope not tonight um but yeah so uh, so yeah that's our uh very long tangent might uh mm-hmm. might indicate I think the next right yeah the next big important thing aside from some of the smaller character development things that we can kind of point out as we go if it if it comes back and is important um is uh is this hike that Judd comes over and is uh he's really sweet like both him and Norma are like very good to the Creed family and kind of pretty quickly are just very casual and like um so Judd ends up coming over one day and saying, hey, Ellie, like, I promised you asked about that, that walk, and I promised to tell you about it. Do you want to hike up to the, to the pet cemetery, like I told you, that I would, you know, kind of tell you about and show you, and she was like, yeah, so ready to go, and then, um, since Lewis and Rachel and Gage are all outside, too, and Judd's just like, oh, does anyone else want to come along? Are you guys willing to do this? And, um, the rest of them do, but Lewis uh, puts Gage on his back and Rachel comes along too. And so they all hike the the um, mile or so up to the pet cemetery. And honestly, that section of them hiking is really long too. And I wonder if that is purposeful in the sense of like later when you do some of the walks, I mean, we do go back up there at least one more time, two more times in this section. I'm sure we go back there multiple times, but Every time I think about, every time any character goes back there, I'm like, oh my god, that's such a long walk. Like, you kind of have it in your mind then of like, whoa, that's such a long walk. Yeah. Um, and especially because Lewis has Gage on his back and Gage is like pulling his hair and stuff and all and of that. And because he's not like a small baby. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like kind of an older baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so they do eventually get up. Well, first they get to this one uh, turnoff point. point. That's like just the apparently they turn around a corner and it's like the most gorgeous view. I was picturing one of those like, you know, like where you can see into like the valley, like the New England type valleys and like mm-hmm. the foliage. And um, yeah, I was picturing like Bear's Den. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, is exactly. like 
in for anyone not from Virginia, <laughs> it's like a it's like a pretty short hike like up into part of the Appalachian Mountains, like the Blue Ridge Mountains that run through Virginia. But it's just like a very nice like lookout point with some like rocks and then you see like over the cliff like just miles and miles of like fall Mm -hmm. foliage I mean obviously in the fall it's not like that year round but it's (laughs) incredibly beautiful and I'm sure even more so in the north yeah or even I mean kind of near Bears Den I was even thinking of um uh, you know, the the mountain or the hill that Bluemont Vineyard and what is it, Bear Claw? The oh, yeah. Uh, dirt, dirt Farm. Dirt Farm? Dirt Farm? Isn't that the one next to Bluemont? Oh, you're thinking of the one on the opposite side of the mountain. Yes. Yeah, the two. I always think it's funny. There's like a vineyard on one side and a brewery on the other. Well, now there's a brewery right next to the vineyard. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, Bluemont and Dirt Farm are on the same side of the mountain. And then... Bear, bear chase bear is on the chase. other right. side of the mountain. If you guys fancy a trip to Percival, them's the yeah. <laughs> You can come drink all of our alcohol because we have so much of it these days. <laughs> I know. Seriously, though, guys, oh, my God, that area is just drenched. <laughs> yeah. So many good vineyards and breweries and distilleries. And a lot of them with these great views that I kind of was imagining, like, you're kind of up on a hill that doesn't seem that high. But then once you get up there, you're like, oh, my God, I can see, you know, all the way to the other. And like, especially on the East Coast, I feel like there's that always that cozy feel of like rolling hills. And then when you get up above them, you're like, whoa, I can see so far and like so mm-hmm. many things. And like, that's um, kind of what I was picturing, too. But apparently that's the halfway point of this hike is this kind of turn off. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is we had no, I had no idea this was on our property. Mm-hmm. Um. And even Judd saying, like, oh, yeah, no one thinks it's this good of you because the hill's not that high, but it, it, it is. And um, then they do get up to the Pet cemetery, and it is apparently just immaculate in the sense that it's very well taken care of all the way up the hike. Like, the path is kind of perfectly laid out with, like, you know, kind of kept clear of all the different foliage. And then... Um, once you got up there, all the, the like grass was kept well, like clipped really low. Um, all the weeds, you know, there weren't any weeds, but there it's just apparently these this weird endless like it, didn't they say like sir, it's like a circle, like kind of radiating out. Yeah, it sounded like it was kind of like a natural clearing. Oh. So it, like, I don't think it was necessarily like let's build a pet cemetery here. I think it was just kind of like, you know, started organically where like however long ago back in the day, it sounds like it's been going on forever because Judd at one point was like, oh yeah, I buried my dog back here. Like here's his gravestone from like 1910. Yeah. And like there was already like rows and rows of pets here before I even buried this one. And then you see them like, you know, progressing in years from like then on until now like every decade there's pets that had been buried there but um yeah it sounded like it looked to be a natural clearing so no one had to like keep the trees from growing in there or like you know it was rocky soil so like nothing grew oh right he did naturally so it was just kind of like 
this is the clearing. This is where pets get buried. You know, like yeah. it's nice and easy space for, oh God, sorry. Did you hear that car <laughs> alarm going off? <laughs> I did. And I thought it was going to happen for like a thousand years, but it's already over. <laughs> it's <already> over. <laughs> I was already like, oh God, we're going to have to take a break. I'm going to have to get another cider. <laughs> um yes anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah and apparently so part of the the creep factor of this is of course the book is called pet cemetery but it's spelled with an s instead of instead of a c um because children this is like a place made by children basically and um which they have definitely ups the creep factor yeah anything horror related that has kids in it i'm like oh god it's gonna be a thousand times worse especially because we don't like none of these children we have ever I mean except Judd who we now know as an 80 year old man like we don't know any of these children throughout the years and yeah they're like misspelling shit like summit pet cemetery and oh which did you also notice this is also the sign of a great author I kind of noticed it so every time Lewis so the the perspective is through Lewis's perspective and so as the idea of a pet cemetery is introduced, every time he thinks about it or talks about it, it's spelled with a C until he goes up there and sees that it's spelled with an S. And then afterwards, even in the like the um, I don't want to call it stage directions because that's screenwriting in the prose and the like, you know, different um, parts where even he's just like thinking it like as his inner monologue it's spelled with an s and then there's a part later mm. where he's like god that spelling really gets into your head <laughs> i was like oh, i hate it it just changed you know halfway through yeah. and it's like oh yeah that was intentional and like really smart mm-hmm. um but yeah there are also these like really all the um every grave has a marker so whether it's like you know half a piece of like a rotting piece of wood or whether it's a rock, like some of them have been chiseled in with like kid handwriting. Like, yeah, what are some of the ones? Maybe I should find some of the. Yeah, the... It, yeah, it sounds like there's kind of every pet under the sun, and you yeah. get like some of their sto- like uh, Gage. No, Gage is the baby Judd. Yeah. <laughs> um, Judd tells like a handful of the pet stories like throughout, so you get a few of them like. There are a couple of kids who, like, back in the day had a pet raccoon before it was illegal to, like, have wildlife as pets. Um, And he talks about, like, you know, a couple of kids had, like, a parakeet that, you know, was in there and, um, like, a a dog that, you know, everyone, like, fought to be pole bears for because, like, so many, like, so many kids were, like, in love with this dog. Um, so you like get a handful of like little snippety stories of like the pets and the kids that took care of them and like buried them there. But yeah, it seems like the markers, like some of them had like a little bit more effort put in, but then there were a lot of blank ones because, you know, they were either like written in like crayon or chalk or something yeah. that like washed away throughout the years. But all of them did have something. Mm-hmm. So you could always tell, like, where the graves were. Yeah. And the only, so they're all kind of walking around. You can tell initially that um, Ellie is really interested. She's, like, bouncing from grave to grave, kind of reading everything. You can also tell that Rachel is really not into it. She's, Mm -hmm. like, kind of standing off to the edge. And Ellie even calls her over at one point to be like, Mom, come look at this. And 
Rachel even says like, no, thanks. I'll pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's there that we find out that she had a sister who died and we don't know anything else about it, but has apparently left like really big scars that even Lewis doesn't really know about. Yeah. We find that out through Lewis's inner monologue. Like they don't talk about it at all. No. Right. It's well until they fight about it, but they don't even really mention it then. Yeah. But apparently she died zelda is the sister's name yeah which is a great halloween spooky name super great name um but yeah apparently she died from like an like a like a childhood illness like it Mm -hmm. wasn't anything like curable or preventable it was just like something that happened like naturally was like very unfortunate and tragic but it happened like very early on yeah um so like Zelda didn't have a very long life but also it was like a very impressionable age for Rachel and it sounded like maybe something that she never dealt with and like I'm assuming her parents didn't handle very well to like you know give her any sort of like closure or like understanding of like the nature of death because it's lasted this like that kind of trauma has lasted up until now right yeah that's like really where I mean obviously from the beginning it's like you were at this ominous road that kills a lot of pets and then you know the Crandalls are talking about death and you know, Rachel is so standoffish about death. Like, the whole book from the beginning is very death-themed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the other thing, so at, kind of as they're milling around, um, there's not really much else. They're mostly just kind of milling and talking. Um, the other thing of note is that there's a huge and terrible crazy tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's in this graveyard, too. And it's kind of like in between. So, as a small aside we should mention there is quite a bit of uh quote indian not native american uh being used in this just to put that out there um but apparently as like judd earlier has said this is on the edge of like a bunch of wilderness and this is a place where the native americans had this land taken from them and they're like currently in a lot of lawsuits with the state i think to try to get that land or parts of it back um, but right on the edge of that, where the pet cemetery kind of like, as you walk in from the creeds side of the property, I was picturing it kind of like at the end of that and like right at the beginning of the wilderness to the point where you can't really see around it, I think is this like yeah. huge gnarly tree. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of like marking the edge of the cemetery and like, yeah, past it is like nothing. Mm -hmm. or everything I don't know it's just like dense forest yeah dense forest and like we do get a little sneak peek later of like is there something past it Mm -hmm. we're not sure yet we find that out in a little bit yeah um so yeah they go back Rachel's kind of immediately like I'm ready to go um and then Judd also has a little like safety rundown for everyone and has told Ellie don't climb on the tree. You'll break your mm-hmm. ankle. Yeah. Because um, it's such an old tree and, like, has deadly, like, limbs. And you, you just don't know, like, what part you're going to hit and maybe fall. And then he's like, also, this wood, these woods are no joke. Like, you stay on this path. You don't leave. Like, tourists get lost often off of this um, trail just because they think it's so close to civilization. And then they stray off the path and get lost. Um, so that really freaks Rachel out too. She's like, mm-hmm. all right, well, Ellie is not coming back up here. I mean, 
at that point she's like don't come back up with a grown-up but very quickly it's don't come back up here ever (laughs) yeah because as soon as they get back they have they all kind of wrestle with their feelings a little bit because ellie um is pretty quickly associating the pet cemetery with church and is like wait a minute if all of these pets die like that means my cat's gonna die eventually too and so her and lewis have a little talk about it where i mean it seemed like the talk was pretty normal to me where it was like yeah it was definitely like a general like kid talk where like they haven't put two and two together yet and then they find out something natural about life that is you know something that mostly adults deal with you know like Mm -hmm. kids don't have to like grapple with those things until they experience it yeah um and so I think that's one of those like and they kind of equate it to the same talk of like where do babies come from because apparently they've already had that with Ellie Right. So right. It's kind and of like, along the same line of like, where do babies come from? And you're like, oh God, I don't want to have this conversation. But like the kids gotta learn it somehow. It's the same thing as right. like, what is death? And so like he's kind of explaining that to her. And of course she gets upset, but she also processes it because she's a child and gets over it. Right. And it does seem very like Lewis has made a point because apparently his mother lied to him about where babies come from and sex and something about that he never forgave her for they don't really go into detail which I thought was kind of funny but um he has made a promise not to lie to his kids about big things like that mm-hmm. and so I thought he did a good job of being like yeah sorry it really does suck and you know it's a part of life but it's really painful so sorry <laughs> that you yeah are but also me. like don't worry about it right now because church is like don't be sad about church dying now because he's like alive right there sleeping in the chair so like go enjoy your time with him while you have it basically which is like pretty solid advice (laughs) yeah I thought yeah it seems like he did a pretty great job and like she you're right like she kind of cries it out and um you can tell that like from the way that the writing sets it up of like she had been very bothered by this and then gets it out and gets to cry about it. And then obviously, yeah, it does, does move on from it. But then it turns out Rachel is also not over it and is much more affected by the cemetery than she is really letting on um, because of this trial, this childhood trauma that she has had and probably seems like also has not dealt with because they have a rip roar and fight right after this kind of initially started by the conversation because she witnesses this conversation that Lewis has with Ellie and is like she's never going back um Rachel is immediately like she is never going back up to that cemetery like I can't believe that you know we even let her witness that like it's so she shouldn't have to deal with that blah 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 and then kind of makes some like you know leaps that are like I feel like yeah are like very well written because it also is like yeah that I could see how that leap would happen in your mind if you're if you're not processing something fully. But even like Lewis mm-hmm. says at certain points, he was like, you're not really making a ton of sense because because at one point Rachel even says like, like now she knows that, you know, or she thinks church is going to die. And Lewis is like, well, church is going to die. <laughs> yeah. Just not right now. But like, right. We don't want her to remember years down the line when he is going to like, you know, who knows, like get feline leukemia or something and she's gonna think like oh cats don't die because we told her that you know it's like you have Mm -hmm. to kind of lay the groundwork but 
Rachel is like really stubborn about it and they get in a huge fight about it. Yeah. And like I one of her arguments, which like is the opposite of one of Lewis's arguments. They just like have such a like difference of view about death. And Lewis is like, it's one of the like only natural things in life, like childbirth and death, like supernatural, one hundred percent, like gonna happen to everyone. Right. And Rachel is like, There's nothing natural about death. And he's like, Wow, I can't argue with you <laughs> about right. death. Right. We just, like, have very different fundamental beliefs about death. Yeah, and it kind of comes, it's interesting because at that point he's like, right, he's like, oh, yeah, God, we'd never taught, like, he it kind of, he even thinks to himself, like, it's interesting it took this long for this argument to happen or for us to realize we had such different ideas about death because they never talk about Zelda and they never talk about mm-hmm. Rachel's background. So he was like, Oh, I guess that's, we found that out now and we yeah. probably could have found that out earlier, but yeah. But it's also like, they, they kind of like do a good job of bringing it up in the sense that like, obviously Rachel has never processed this because she's never dealt with it. And, you know, kind of get the sense that like Zelda died and then, she's had no other experiences with death. She just has that like one really traumatic instance, whereas Lewis is a doctor. So he's seen death like every single, well, not every single day, but like probably very frequently in his adult life and line of work. And so it is something natural that happens in his life, like on a regular basis. And so he's very familiar with it and like understands it and has processed it. And like, yeah, I guess just deals with it like has learned to come to terms with just death in general yeah it is interesting that moment when she screams at him you're a doctor you should know above anyone that like death isn't a natural thing and he's like I think that's the point you pointed out of like I can't argue with you because you clearly don't understand because as a doctor that is the only like natural thing that you can actually count on (laughs) is Mm -hmm death and then that night he goes to he goes over to Judd's and Norma's there I mean Norma's always there but Norma's sitting with them out on the um, porch drinking I think they're drinking iced tea this time maybe but um, usually they're drinking beers and Norma and Judd are Judd kind of has had a couple different times where he says something that Lewis has been thinking or kind of in a gentle way like looks into the kind of like pulls the curtain on like what's bothering people and so he kind of really casually is like, was Ellie okay seeing the pet cemetery? <laughs> and Lewis is like, oh, well, actually, that's the entire crux of everything that's wrong with my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he doesn't say it like that, but he doesn't and he doesn't let on about his and Rachel's fight either. But um, because he kind of, you know, says, yeah, well, I guess, yeah, she had, did have a little bit of trouble with it. Um, both Judd and Norma start talking about all of the people they've lost and how death was much more of like, I want to say like an inevitability even early on, but they, he, they were saying like Judd had a brother who died really suddenly. Mm -hmm. And then there were different wars that happened and there were different, like, you know, freak accidents that happened. Oh, we also find out there was a freak accident in Lewis's past too, that he had to deal with um, a childhood death really young too. His cousin died in this like really Mm -hmm. crazy, um, like accident with just like freak kid accident 
And so it seems like they're kind of putting all of these things together, saying like, oh, yeah, like we have basically the three of them kind of, you know, ruminating together on their own, like how they all of them have come to terms with death. And that kind of Mm -hmm. juxtaposes against Rachel with Ellie in the middle being the person who's like kind of figuring it out still. But Rachel is the one that's like on this completely other end of the spectrum of like, will not even process that death exists as a thing. Which is then ironic how she reacts to what happens next. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so then the next day we get another view of death, which was, like, a pretty crazy scene. Yeah. Um, so the next day is Lewis's first day at work in the university. Well, it's not his first day, but it's first, the first day that students are back, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's been in and out. But, yeah, this is the first day. It's, like, the first day of school, I think. Yeah, so he he drives in and he, like, you know, passes some pedestrians and runners and, like, gets to work. And um, it seems pretty, like, I mean, it's a university, so I don't think anything, like, super crazy happens. They're, like, ambulance is gone and he's like, oh, God, there was a, you know, like, an accident already. And they were like, no, no, it's just in for maintenance. Like, we never use it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Someone's going to come in with, like, gonorrhea or something, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, like, it's a school. It's pretty safe. Yeah. Um, but then it was, like, pretty early on in the day, right? Someone Yeah, bring... it's, like, literally an hour later. Like, he hadn't even had coffee. He was, like, thinking about getting a cup of coffee mm-hmm. at, at the office. And before he could even do that this yeah, happens he, yeah he hears like a bunch of screaming from like the front of the office and he's like oh no so he runs out and there's like a very injured like pretty far gone um like young man on the floor and like the there's like a couple of like bystanders there like outside the window looking in and a couple of nurses are like in tears like vomiting in buckets because they're like so horrified of the state of this man on the floor and like apparently his friends brought him in in like a blanket sling because he like wasn't mobile at all yeah um so lewis like jumps to and you know gets the young man and is like um well he's absolutely going to die immediately like i'm shocked he's still alive you know in his head he's thinking this yeah um, but you know out loud kind of you know does the doctor thing of like starting to direct people you know like pull the ch- shades you know we don't want anyone to see this like you go call the ambulance that's not around like <laughs> never mind go call a police officer at least it's yeah. a siren like you go get this you go get that yeah so he's like kind of directing everyone to like do as much as he can but also like it sounds like this man's like neck was broken and like his head was like pretty crushed and like it was just very beyond any sort of help but he was still like hanging on to like a little bit of life so he was like obviously still conscious which is like the horrifying to think that he was conscious during like any part of that because he sounded so in terrible shape but yeah, especially because Lewis keeps using the term in his inner monologue, there was a window open into his brain. Like, he could literally see his brain through yeah, which his is crushed skull. Absolutely disgusting. Yeah, and they do mention a lot of, like, the blood seeping into the carpet and, mm-hmm. like, just everything that's coming out of this poor guy. 
Um, and it is interesting too, that like, while he is directing people, there's nothing that he does medically. Like, I think he kind of, well, what do you do? I know. Yeah. Because he was like, you know, you can't move him even though he has already been moved because of the neck injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't even check for a pulse. I don't think like we don't really get him. We just get, you know, a, a lot of pages of, you know, his inner monologue, him directing other people yeah. and then him kind of just processing this person on the ground because right. The first thing he, he literally says my first diagnosis is the person is almost dead. Yeah. But we do get like, a little bit of a like this is where the first like creep happens yeah because at you know he's directing everyone to kind of like do you know like moderately helpful things mostly I think he's just trying to get people to like calm down and not panic yeah but at one point he is alone with this man in the room because everyone is off you know like calling ambulances or getting this and that and so when he's alone with the the guy, he hears them, him kind of, like, trying to say something, and he's like, okay, I don't understand, you know, what's going on with that, like, didn't understand any of the syllables, it was just kind of, like, dying person jumbled gargles, but... Yeah. Um, then, right afterwards, very clearly, the guy says, pet cemetery, and Lewis yep. is like, um, excuse me? Yep. <laughs> And like he even, what just happened yeah because he's thinking like wait I didn't actually just hear that because it's like mm-hmm. that's been his like it's been days like it's been I think at least two days since they went up to the pet cemetery and then he's thought about it every day since because of the fight with Rachel and the talk with mm-hmm. Ellie and then the talk with Judd and Norma because I think it was that night Judd and Norma go through the list of all the local kids that uh that buried their pets there and so he's like no no, that was just like a weird trick of the brain that was like, he was just saying, he was just doing the, right, like you said, like the dying kind of jumble of words and wasn't really saying anything. But I, I must be in so much shock that I took it as something that I recognized. Yeah, but then you're going to have to look up the rest of the conversation because they have like a very short but very lucid conversation afterwards because the guy starts talking in full sentences even though his neck is broken and his like eyes are glazed over and he's like very clearly not in any shape to like his honestly like he seems in the kind of shape where like he's probably dead at this point (laughs) yeah and like Stephen King is just writing in you know like in the Stephen King universe like he like this is the point where I was thinking like okay he's dead and like this is obviously like not the the guy that's talking like this is yeah. some other like entity that has entered his like very recently deceased corpse and is like using yeah. vocal cords that are not there because the vocal cords were probably severed in the accident oh you're probably right that's so true I did I didn't think about that part but I did think that too I thought you're right that's this is probably not because it's so it is so random and like even later he looks up this kid's uh records and he's not from around the the area so he probably didn't know about the pet cemetery like he hasn't been in this um area very long he's like from New Jersey and so that that was my thought, too, was that, like, oh, this must be something supernatural that whatever is in the pet cemetery can use 
this corpse and this corpse also happened to be near or someone they were trying to communicate with. Mm-hmm. But I do have the conversation here. It is very creepy. It right. It starts with him uh, saying in the pet cemetery and then it goes into, you know, a lot of Lewis being terrified and he's like, what did you say? And then he says, it's not the real cemetery. And then his eyes go vacant. Um, Lewis, you know, thinks a couple other things. And then let's see, he says, what did you say again? Oh, the guy's grinning too. I forgot about that part. Oh yeah. That was the second creepy thing. That was very creepy. And then he says, the soil of a man's heart is stonier, Lewis. That's right. He uses his name too, which he's like, okay. (laughs) Um, He says, a man grows what he can and tends to it, which when they were up there, Judd actually talks about the ground there. And he's like, like you were saying earlier, it's like stony. You can't really mm-hmm. like, it's hard to dig through. Uh, Judd said. Um, so let's see. Um, Lewis, he freaks out. Cause he's like, you don't know my name. How could you be using my name? And then he says, who are you? Um, but yeah, that, that whole incident, obviously he, the, the guy, according to Lewis, dies right after that mm-hmm. um and so then you know everyone filters back in and that obviously is taken up will take up everyone's day they end up um you know sending the the body to the closest um morgue for an autopsy and then they spend the day you know obviously cleaning up but then doing press conferences and talking with families and you know kind of going back and forth and then it's funny because you don't really see any of we don't get to see much of that until we see them again, him and um, his uh, physician's assistant and the nurse, and they're all just doing like mundane filing work. They let the physician's assistant go home because they're like, goodbye, get out of here. And then it's him and the nurse who have stayed like way later than they should have. And they're doing just like the stupidest shit, really. Like they're, they don't, it's not anything pressing. It's like file work. Mm -hmm. And I think they kind of needed to do, something to kind of wind down because it was so so much intensity all day but that's when he gets a call from Rachel who has obviously seen because he even does a press conference on TV without having like called Rachel to be like hey this crazy thing happened so she sees him on TV and is like oh my god and calls him and is like okay come home immediately Mm -hmm. Um, and then we get uh, a lot of sort of reactionary sex (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we get some good steamy sex scenes that Lillian Jackson Braun would be super embarrassed to read, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she definitely would. <laughs> yeah, she like meets him at the door too. She was like very, I don't know, I guess it could go both ways of like, she might know him so well, maybe she knew what he would need. And I get the sense too of like, you know, you have such a shocking near death thing that's like such a, you know, I don't know life grabbing thing like a life giving thing that like I think maybe a lot of people turn to that in like times like that like near death type experiences yeah but this was also like a little bit makeup sex too though because they hadn't they had just had their fight and I don't think they had super made up about it yet oh but actually was this before this yeah I think before this happened Lewis they did like sort of at least have like meaningful eye contact makeup oh yeah because that was this morning yeah that morning yeah yeah. in the morning Lewis like and during the like conversation with Judd 
Um, and then that night he was like, oh, I, I have this nagging feeling. I forgot something like, oh, I remember what it is. I need to like, I really need to make an appointment to get this cat neutered. So that morning he like stuck a note on the the like bolt their bulletin board by the phone and had a conversation with Ellie about it being like, you know, church is going to go in for a short operation. He won't be here for like a day or two, but when he comes back, like hopefully he won't wander across the road anymore. And she's like, great, love it. Like so happy. He's not going to like get hit by a car, which I think he might in the future. So sorry, Ellie. Yeah, I know. I think so um, too. But yeah, like she's really happy that he's like, you know taking a, a step to you know fix the cat and or get the cat fixed so that he could like potentially be safer and then Rachel is like thank you like that's great like I'm glad you agree with me which is not what he was doing but right <laughs> but she no. took it that way so they like already sort of made up a little bit yeah. but this is like makeup sex also like you experienced death sex yeah you're right it's like kind of a combo of both and Mm -hmm. um so I think that's most of that night he like also eats a ton he you know had kind of been like I don't think I'm gonna eat like until Halloween but then is like obviously super hungry like because he I mean obviously because they're having so much sex but also because of like you know it seemed like he probably didn't eat all day and um was such a traumatic event so Mm -hmm. um yeah, that happens. And then the next big thing is that night pretty immediately goes into another big creepy factor of mm-hmm. this book, which is that he, um, it takes him a little bit to fall asleep. He's like, oh, that's kind of like, makes sense. But then when, once he does, he's instantly jolted awake by a huge crash. He thinks it's like Ellie or something, you know, big happening. But it is Victor, uh, what is his name? Victor... I can't remember. I'm not sure it matters. <laughs> no, it doesn't really. He just keeps saying it a bunch, so I was gonna yeah. replay it. But yeah, I think his first name is Victor. Mm-hmm. Um, this this jogger. Oh, so basically, oh, I don't think we even said how he died. So the this guy died. Oh, um, yeah, Victor. The guy from the the morning. Yeah, the yeah. The, sorry. The, the creepy dead man that spoke to him. Yes. Um, he was apparently jogging with his fiance, so they were like both jogging down you know, down a normal road, um, when a car just rounded a turn way too fast and hit right into him, which threw him into a tree. So the reason that his head was so cr- crushed was because he, um, his neck, I think his neck was broken from the, the crash with the car. And then it threw him into a tree, which like crushed his skull, which is disturbing and sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and so one of the, it turns out, one of the bystanders, like, outside that they're kind of cordoning off so that no one besides the medical professionals can see was his actual, was his fiance and some friends. And so everyone's obviously very, um, very upset. But um, that was how he died. And so then that night, he falls asleep, wakes up to this, like, huge thud sound, huge crash. And what he sees is Victor standing in his doorway, having just thrown open his bedroom door he looks over, Rachel's completely still asleep. So he's like, oh, okay, great. I'm dreaming. This sucks, but whatever. And um, Victor, I don't think he says anything. I think he just is basically like motioning him to follow. Right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I found it interesting because like, to me, when I dream and have horrifying things happen to me, like I very much am scared in my dreams. But Yeah, like, oh, the, me too. 
the reason why he was immediately like, oh, I must be dreaming is because he's like, this horrifying thing is in front of me, but I'm not really scared of it. So, like, it must not be real. Oh, right. Yeah. Which I found weird. Like, I don't think that's a foreshadow or anything. I just thought that was a weird character quirk. No, <laughs> he's he not afraid this... in his dream. <laughs> yeah. No, this instant and then the next instant, the one after the like, moment of him later there's a moment later we should I'll talk about that too but there are a few moments where yeah you're right it's like I don't know if this goes towards anything beyond right either I mean maybe it does have some supernatural like connection too but yeah he has some weird like character quirks in this because you're right like I would never like if I felt that present like he is obviously a well not obviously but we do kind of come to learn that he actually was awake um during this and he's like I feel really awake and present for this but it has to be a dream like he's so convinced it's a dream but yet he still gets up he does he has choices still like it's not like mm-hmm. he doesn't you know have to do something especially if you're awake but because he thinks it's a dream he does get up and follow Victor all the way out of the house like they're walking through down the stairs through the kitchen it's funny cuz like Victor walks through the door and um lewis tries to do that too because he's like oh it's a dream and mm-hmm. then he crashes into his own door and it's like oh i guess it doesn't work like that and it's like <laughs> well you're probably in real life so goodbye yeah um, which i kept thinking that was when church was going to die because i kept thinking that he was going to leave a door open yeah. and oh, he yeah. was going to have some like creepy you know something of his own and then church was going to wander out and get hit but that didn't happen, everyone. Church is... Actually, I think Church right now might be at um, the vets. Or yeah. maybe that was a little later. But... Yeah, I don't, I don't remember when that happens. But it does happen during this section. He comes it does. Back. I was convinced Church was never going <laughs> to get neutered, but he does. Yeah, he no, I thought out. so too. Yeah, yeah, I feel like this is just going to be like... I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's good writing. It's suspenseful because, like, I keep expecting this cat to get hit by a car and like it's been mentioned so many times and like Mm -hmm. they've been there for so long I was like expecting it to happen right away and like 100% be Lewis's fault yeah I I feel like it's one of those things where like since we know it's gonna happen Stephen King probably wrote it in like pretty late and it's gonna not be what we think is gonna happen for sure I know I can it's gonna be a surprise and I'm gonna hate it Yes, no, agreed. I think that part of me too was like, this better happen fast. So it just, I, we just get it over with and whatever. But like, mm-hmm. that's obviously part of the horror too is like, yeah. you no, know, you know, this is going to happen. So I'm going to surprise you with it, even though you know right. it's coming. Yeah, but, exactly. Ugh. So either way, Lewis is, he opens the door, follows this like gory ghost jogger out of his house. Um, then follows it. He immediately knows where he's going because he kind of, of course, is heading toward up the path towards the pet cemetery. And they go the whole, you know, walk up. And the whole time, uh, Lewis is like, oh, wow, everything feels so real. Like the pine needles on my feet. He's barefoot. So he's like hiking barefoot. And he's like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. my feet hurt. And it's like, well, yeah. Like, do you ever think of your feet hurting in a dream? Like, I've never had that happen. Yeah. But he's just very out of it, and he's very like, oh, wow, this is some very realistic dream. Mm-hmm. It's very creepy. And then they get up there, and all of a sudden, well, there are, here, let me look at look up the conversation again, because there's another creepy conversation. Yeah, there's a creepy conversation, but also, like, the pet cemetery seems to, like, look different 
mm-hmm. in, in this like weird lucid dream not dream yeah yeah because the um oh here I think I might have found at least part of it um yeah because the uh the tree the big tree is actually now made of bones and the bones are like creaking and cracking and like is taking up a lot more of the the space than I think it it did before mm-hmm. um let's see let's see loud crash because there he also gets a warning because as he's standing there Victor Pascal is his name Victor Pascal as Victor is standing there he all of a sudden starts getting I don't know if he's like getting bigger and bigger but he's kind of like looming over um Lewis and I think Lewis is starting to get really scared um just because of the way that Victor is like speaking to him and looking at him and mm-hmm. um he actually ends up tripping over one of the I think it's Smucky the cat he was obedient the one I just found mm. um a grave and uh he actually cuts his arm on the grave and is like all right that sucks and it's like bleeding and oh here I think let's see if I can find at least the one part because the one part was like I feel like there were a lot of clues in that and it was super creepy oh here it's actually kind of long but here maybe I can just read it Okay, Pascal came closer and then spoke. The door must not be opened, Pascal said. He was looking down at Lewis because Lewis had fallen to his knees. Um, blah, blah, blah. Sorry, what else does he say? Sorry, I'm not blah, 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 Stephen King. All of this is great. I just don't want to be reading you guys forever. <laughs> um, don't go beyond, no matter how much you feel you need to, doctor. The barrier was not made to be broken. Remember this. There is more power here then you know it is old and always restless remember and lewis tried to scream tried again to scream he could not um and then pascal says i come as a friend but i actually really liked this part and then it says but was friend actually the word pascal had used lewis thought not it was as if pascal had spoken in a foreign language which lewis could not understand through some dream magic and friend was as close to whatever word Pascal had actually used that Lewis, Lewis's struggling mind could come to. Hmm. Um, and then the last thing he says, uh, well, one of the last things he says, you, this one stuck with me, your destruction and the destruction of all you love is very near, doctor. And then he says, remember, and then there's a lot of clicking of the tree bones. And then he just wakes up in his bed. Yeah. But but he wakes up super late because mm-hmm. and he wakes up like it seems to me like he wakes up like feeling rested or like feeling like better than the day before because he wakes up to like sunlight and he's like to me it wasn't like one of those groggy wake ups it was like a you know straight out of bed like I'm here I'm awake kind of things. <laughs> Well, it did say, though, they had that whole paragraph about because before the dream and as he's falling asleep, he was going through like really medical terms of like, oh, generally it takes people seven minutes to fall asleep. So seven Mm -hmm. minutes. Okay, maybe I'll fall asleep in seven minutes. Yeah. Um, And then as he's waking up, it goes through this little monologue of like, even though it takes people generally seven minutes to fall asleep the medical community thinks it takes between 10 to 15 minutes to wake people up. So it goes from, or for people to wake up like Mm -hmm. naturally. So they go through the stages and then it was like, of course, going into like creep factor of being like, 
almost as if sleep is a pool that people, you know, can easily slip into and hard to get out of, which I was like, great. Now I never want to sleep again. Thanks so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But also like, is that actually true? Because I I feel like it takes me like at least several hours to wake up. I mean, that's only scarier, don't you think? <laughs> no, I just think I'm a sleepy person because, like, <laughs> this morning, I, well, I guess it depends on how much sleep I get because sometimes I can, like, wake up and I'm just like, great, I'm well rested, I'm, you know, awake, perfect. Mm-hmm. But then, like, this morning, I woke up and started reading Pet Cemetery in bed and, like, fell asleep again, like, half an hour later while I was reading. <laughs> woke up again and was like, oh, damn it. And, like, kept reading and then, like, fell asleep again. And I was, like, awake asleep for, like, a solid two hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can definitely be a drowsy bitch, for sure. Yeah. But I don't feel like this was necessarily a drowsy morning for Lewis. No, that is true. Yeah, no, that's true. Once he's awake, he kind of jolts awake because he obviously pretty quickly remembers his creepy happened yeah he's like you know everything starts coming back to him and he's like oh great wow that was a crazy dream and then that great old horror trick of like you know you start seeing the proof that that thing that you thought was a dream was not actually a dream because I think the first thing he sees is uh it's it's like really perfectly laid out too because Rachel's already up so her the covers on her side have already been put like already thrown open mm-hmm. so obviously nothing her side of the bed looks fine but as he's getting out of bed he throws off his, his side of the covers and it's covered in like mud and pine needles and like his feet are all a mess and then he re- realizes he looks and he sees that there actually is a cut on his arm as well and so he's like okay well I'm going insane that's like literally his next conclusion is that like Mm -hmm. perfect I'm going crazy um so he and he then he spends the morning being like I wonder if this is what murder is like because then he like (laughs) like takes off the sheets and apparently they have a, a housekeeper who comes in once a day I think to do chores and so he like balls up the uh the The evidence yeah the evidence (laughs) literally he keeps calling it evidence he like throws it down the laundry chute and he's like okay well the laundry like the housekeeper's gonna come today like Rachel will never see it like she can't see me like this he like immediately takes a shower and then he starts laughing maniacally in the shower because he's going insane going insane slowly um or you know just can't explain everything and so he does finally get downstairs and Rachel is like the fuck you okay and then he, like, on autopilot tells her a joke that then both her and Gage are, like, laughing about, too. And so he's like, ha I should casually read a newspaper because that would just put the little icing on top of the cake of this normalcy cake that I'm having this morning. But then he, like, has a panic attack in the car as he's driving to work because he's, like, I think he's, like, full body shaking and is just like, oh, okay, I don't have any idea what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um... And I think, honestly, like, that might be the last... Oh, no, that's not... There is one more last big event and maybe, like, a few other little things we should mention here and there before the end of um, this section. But there's just a lot of um, description of things after this as well. (laughs) Yeah, I think after this, it, like... I mean, it does calm down. I think he sees Victor a couple of more nights, right? And then it, like kind of like stops for a while 
Yeah, I I think he, yeah, he's, I don't think he see. it's nothing ever like that again. No, I think he just kind of, like, opens his eyes and, like, sees him in the doorway, like, for a couple of more nights to the point that, like, you know, in other, like, it stops happening for a while, and but he's, like, still expecting to, like, see Victor mm-hmm. every night. Um, but it does stop happening. And so he like yeah. doesn't he doesn't see him for for a little while. Yeah, and he even that next day he does at least a little bit more investigation. And that next day he does actually call the morgue that had the body because one of the big things that he was telling himself was like, okay, it couldn't have been real real because his body is in the morgue. Mm-hmm. And then when he calls the morgue, the morgue's like, oh, actually no, he's already gone. Like we already sent him with a Delta Flight 109. He's on his way back to New Jersey. And so that kind of spooks him a little bit too, because he's like, oh, like, I don't, there's something I think for him, it was comforting to know that this body was like locked in a freezer, whereas it like wasn't, um, because it was around that same time. Apparently it was like he, they put his body on like a, you know, 12 a.m. like, you know, midnight flight. And then he was getting in to New Jersey at like 2 a.m. or something. And apparently that was the same time frame that he was potentially, well, what he just, um, decides to believe is that he was actually sleepwalking um and having a dream at the same time so Mm -hmm. I mean that's pretty convenient explanation but then he does come back to himself and he's like oh yeah but what about as he was dying like what about all that crazy shit he said and then he's Mm -hmm. like okay goodbye I can't think about that anymore yeah I don't (laughs) want to deal with it (laughs) yeah and then he also kind of has a talk with himself too he's like there was no reason for me to call that morgue like they thought I was super weird for calling them and um you know, they're uh, my like part in this is obviously very over. So like, I, I shouldn't be. I need to let this go. So at least for that, and that's actually where he finds out too that um, Victor was from a different. You know, he's from New Jersey. There was no. He like looks at his file too, and is like, he wasn't from around here. He wouldn't have known about the pet cemetery, you know, and all of that. So um, yeah, what else happens? Oh, that next day he goes back to the pet cemetery too. He like does, I think it was like in the afternoon after he'd gotten home and he was like, I'm just going to go out and get some fresh air. And then he ends up walking back to the pet cemetery and he sees the grave toppled over that he fell over. Um, And then, oh, this was the part that I was going to say earlier that, you know, you were saying he had like a weird thought process on the dream I thought he had such a weird thought process on climbing this tree because he's like having this conversation with himself that does make him seem very crazy and he's like looking at the tree and he's like you're he's talking to himself and he's like you're not thinking about climbing that right and he's like no 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 he's like literally going back and forth and being like no 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 I'm not going to climb that Judd said not to climb it you'll definitely break your ankle like you're a mile away like I'm not climbing the tree And then the next line is, he's climbing the tree. (laughs) He was like, oh, I thought I was in, you know, I'm in total agreement with myself. Yes. Okay, not climbing the tree. And then he's climbing the tree, and it's like, oh, my God, now I feel crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that was it for that. He just, like, walks around a little bit. He doesn't see anything out of place except that grave that he knocked over. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, you're right. All of it kind of calms down. Until Halloween, which as soon as Halloween come, came, I was like, well, something's definitely happening tonight. Something's going to happen. But it wasn't like a creepy something happening. No, which again, I think is, I think he was playing on that. Like he thinks, mm-hmm. I mean, I think he just is such a good writer. He knew, 
of course, I was expecting Victor Ludlow to come back or the cat to die or something to happen, but it really was kind of like the perfect level of like playing on your expectations. Yeah. So Ellie has been really expecting to go or really excited about going trick-or-treating. She is a witch. And so they obviously start trick-or-treating at um, the Crandalls. And so they kind of have a little, um, they're like in the house and Ellie is getting an apple from Norma. And at Norma, apparently her arthritis has gotten so bad that she actually drops the apple. And so she's going to get Ellie a new apple in the back when a few other kids come into. So Norma and a couple kids, two twins that are ghosts and uh, Ellie, a witch, in the, are in the kitchen. Um, meanwhile, Judd and Lewis are out on the porch and Judd is saying like, hey, I really hate to impose on you. I would not ask this for any other reason except that Norma has stopped going to her doctor. And it's not only arthritis now, her arthritis has gotten really bad, but she also is having chest pains. And so it's at that exact moment that Ellie comes running back out and is like, oh my God, Mrs. Cramble just fell in the kitchen. And so they all go running in there and uh, Judd, it's like, it kind of mirrors Victor quite a bit where he, Lewis is kind of looking over at an unconscious body. Well, I guess Victor wasn't necessarily unconscious, but um, Norma is unconscious mm-hmm. and uh, is kind of like, you know, having a little decision making in his head and inner monologue. And he actually even thinks that he looks down at her and he's like, oh, my God, it's happening again. She's going to start talking again about or she's going to start not again because she hasn't. Mm-hmm. But he was like, she's going to start talking about pet the pet cemetery. And then he's like, yeah. that's so stupid. Why would you think <laughs> he's that? like, no, you're a doctor. Get yourself together and like save yeah. this woman. <laughs> <laughs> which but, yeah that was horrifying right I mean he does feel so crazy at this point that that's like his first thought as a doctor is like oh god I can't come into contact with a dead body because I'm crazy and they're gonna talk to me yeah which oh my god if any I want every doctor to just convey their inner monologue to me so I can decide whether or not they can work on me <laughs> yeah like excuse me you're seeing dead people no thanks yeah can you just get a colleague in here maybe yeah but he does end up saving her. He does, like, actual doctory things this time. He, like, sends yeah. um, Ellie and Judd over to get his, like, medical kit. And he gives her, like, an aspirin and, you know, does some some CPR to get her heart rhythms back to normal and calls an actual ambulance because they have actual ambulances now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that aren't just broken, uh, yeah. broken university. Ambulances. Yeah, but he, I mean, he does say like, yes, this was an actual heart attack, but like we, you know, got here, like, thank goodness we were here and could like get to her in time because, you know, like she'll have to get on some new medications, but she'll be fine. But yeah, it was like another death scare and we get like a little bit of like sort of creep like I don't know I thought this was like a little bit <laughs> I think I know. just because yes. it came from a child yep I know exactly what you're about to say and correct yeah. yes you are correct <laughs> yeah and like this is probably a totally normal like child thing to say like I'm pretty sure I've even heard like Giselle and Isabel saying similar things but like it's still a little bit creepy they're just like Kids are just honest with, like, what they know yeah. and have no filter. Yeah, so Lewis was talking to Ellie about it later and was like, 
And they did go back out trick-or-treating later that night for anyone who was worried about Ellie and her candy. <laughs> yeah, but, she does um, get a whole bag of candy. That she, she does get lots of candy. Yes. Yeah, he was talking to her about it later and was like, don't worry, like, Norma's going to be fine. And she's like, no, she's not. She's going to die. Like, she had a heart <laughs> yeah. attack and she might be fine now, but she's old and had a heart attack, which means she'll die soon. Mm-hmm. And Lewis is like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. But, like, Ellie was totally fine about it. Like, she wasn't, like, a broken up kid about it like she was when she was talking about church dying. She was just, like, totally matter of fact. Like, I get it now. Death happens. Like, don't worry right. about it. Which you could see both one of two ways, which at first I obviously was like, and I'm still creeped out by it. Cause it's like, oh God, yeah, kids are so creepy. Mm-hmm. And like, but it's also the thing too of like, you know, when an animal dies, especially in any like media, like, especially like a movie, it's like, it seems so much more, there's just something bigger about it for some reason. Like, because it's like so kind of innocent pulled. and pure. Yeah, exactly. And so there's a little bit of that. There's also a little bit that like, she could have, I kept thinking about it, of, like, I wonder if she maybe processed and just learned that quickly, or like, you know, acclimated that well to death. Like, obviously not that, you know, when it happens, she wouldn't be sad or grieve or whatever, but mm-hmm. that, you know, she took the conversation with her dad to heart and was like, nope, death happens, you know, kind of yeah. thing. To she also her. is, like, I think she likes Norma, but, like, they just met. It's not, like, yeah. the path that she's had for the past, you know, her entire life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she has literally had this cat for, like, most of her actual life. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it it definitely feels a little closer to her for sure. Yeah, but, yeah, it, like, very much is written in that deadpan of, like, oh, no, she's going to die, and it's fine. And it's like, oh, God, all right, goodbye. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. <laughs> yeah, burn the house down, um, move back to Chicago. Yeah. And then I think, is that, like, what do we actually end on? I'm kind of forgetting. Yeah, I'm kind of forgetting, too. Um, Let's see. Oh, we end on, like, a little bit, another, like, little creep factor. Because it's still that same night. Oh, yeah, it actually kind of ends there. So, like, they had the last page before mm. we finished is that conversation. He goes to bed and Rachel is still kind of awake. And Rachel's like, was she okay? Like, I how, I mean, obviously after she was like, you know, how's Norma? And he's like, she'll be okay. And then Rachel's like, how is Ellie? Was she okay? And, like, he has this whole inner monologue of like, oh, yeah, she, like, knows people are going to die. And, like, she's <laughs> she was totally creepily cool okay. <laughs> yeah, and he, like, doesn't say any of it. And it's just like... She handled herself very well. Let's just go to sleep. Um, And then, yeah, it's this weird last paragraph. Hang on. Let me actually reread this because I actually think I might have read this wrong when I I last read this. I could just dramatically read this last paragraph or two to you guys. Um, But I think it, it means that Victor came back. But maybe it didn't. Or maybe it didn't. Was this the paragraph that I might have mentioned before? I think this was the one where he, like, heard a sound and was, like, the door was closed and he was like, oh, God, Victor's back. And he goes and opens the door and, like, nothing was there. Yes. No, that is the one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was... I think that's what it, it ends on because I think for the past, like, handful of nights or, like, however long it's been since the initial pet cemetery incident um sleepwalking slash lucid dreaming slash awakeness incident (laughs) yeah Um, I think like since then he hasn't seen Victor 
but he was like when he heard the crash he was like expecting him to be there because he had seen him for like so many nights in a row yeah and he was hearing um creaks up the stairs and then when he opened the door no one was there which we really did end on probably a, a like a really good like this could actually be the exact uh, calm before the storm like I feel like we could start this again and mm-hmm. it's gonna be like church immediately dies he's immediately a ghoul like everything horrible is about it I keep thinking too like I got really freaked out when that one line of like the destruction of you and everything you love is coming soon I was like is this whole family gonna fucking die or like right maybe he's gonna stay alive and the rest of his family like are we gonna be like privy to this like these kids maybe dying and then being buried in the cemetery and becoming ghouls too like oh god how far could this go I know yeah and so I like have a guess did you read the author's note beforehand I didn't I should have no did it have any spoilers or do I so it it didn't quite have spoilers but it had like a couple of things that I think it was like his thought process writing parts of the book and he did have like like some of it is based on like his own life and things that happen so like I think at you know at some point in his life like his his cat also died or like his daughter's cat also died and his daughter like he wrote the line in the book that Ellie had his daughter also had where it was like God has enough cats like leave (gasps) mine alone oh that was like that was like an actual line that his daughter had said in real life. And he was like, I love that. Like, of course, like God leave her cat alone, you know, like, so when that line came up in the book, I was like, Oh God, part of that, you know, like part of the author's note is like actually what's happening in the book. So the other thing, I don't know if this is too much of a spoiler, if you want to hear it, it's like, I don't know if this is going to happen or not. Well, if it's in the author's note, I feel like the author's note is different than an introductory because I feel like sometimes they're introductions by other people who are like oh this book is great and that conclusion like wow wow but if it's an author's note before that's like specifically put before like Mm -hmm. I feel like that's meant I actually feel bad for not reading it because I feel like that was probably meant to be read before the book yeah well I just kind of skimmed it so I didn't read the whole thing but I did catch like snippets of it so I caught that part and then there was another part where he was talking about like like after his cat after this his and his daughter like his children's cat passed away his son like ran away from like was so upset he ran away from home and ran in like into the street and mm. like he had to chase after his son and like oh, God. Um, like his kid tripped but he like tripped into the sidewalk and so it was like like nothing happened but it was still yeah. like a scary moment for him as a parent being like oh god like what if I hadn't gotten to him in time what if he had tripped into the street instead Ooh. of into the sidewalk yeah like all of these like kind of scenarios going through his head so I feel like that might play into this like worst case scenario situation oh, that's gonna happen in this book like I just have a feeling that like something like that is going to kind of like you know waterfall effect yeah I think you like bad bad things happening I also wonder if that was his I don't know how many sons if he has more than one son I don't really know anything about Stephen King's life but I do know that that his one son is the author Joe Hill who also writes horror Mm. and I wonder if that was him maybe yeah I don't I don't know um yeah I agree I think they're I also keep waiting for like 
like I said earlier, like Lewis to be the cause of church's death or like there to be some kind of like Lewis, obviously everything right now Lewis is experiencing. But I think because Stephen King's such a good author and because this is maybe one of the bleaker books of his, I just keep waiting for it to kind of turn and like the way that everyone else becomes involved is through Lewis and like, oh God, that's going to suck. I always hate Mm -hmm. those things that are just so like, cringy because one person like everyone hates this one person because of this yeah. one action like right. yeah I know I hate that too that's the worst I am my one like little bit of solace is that church does come back like I mean I, I am assuming like, I don't as know, a I demon <laughs> right Probably. Like, what cat wouldn't want to come back as a demon I feel like that's true all, that's just the, last, the ultimate form of their life I mean I'm saying this not having read three-fourths of the rest of this book past, <laughs> you know, anything that's just the the very beginning, not even the eye of the storm yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we shall see. But We shall see. Yeah, I will say this is, this has nothing to do with the book. This is my real life experience right now. Oh. I did, uh, it doesn't have anything to do with cat deaths. Don't worry. Oh, thank God. Um, <laughs> The Edgar Allan Poe Festival was this weekend oh, in yeah. Baltimore, and I I went I went actually two days in a row because the first <gasps> day I went I didn't bring any cash with me because I was like oh, I'm just gonna go see a festival. But they had like there were a bunch of artists there and there was like such <gasps> cool art that I was cool. like ooh I'm going back tomorrow and <laughs> nice. so I like I picked up a, a few like cute because like my aesthetic is like cute morbid like I like yes. the cartoony morbid stuff. Yep. But there was this one artist that I was like, I might buy this, but I ended up not buying it because I was like, I'm not going to hang this in my house. Like, it's a little bit too much for me. But it was based off of Church from Pet Cemetery. <gasps> no way. Yeah. Um, so the artist was, it, they did, it was um, like kind of art on top of like old book pages. Oh. Um, and the church one was just like this super creepy like cat skull with glowing eyes like <gasps> printed on top of like an old book page and I was like ooh that's super cool but like I also hate it <laughs> uh, yeah 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 was... like I like really appreciate this but also like <laughs> I don't want it in my house <laughs> I don't need this 24-7 I need, need it right yeah. now but not all the time yeah like I'm so glad I saw this like very cool <laughs> but like please get it out of my life Oh, there was the cutest, um, one of our listeners, Jess, um, sent the cutest little, I think I actually, I, I think she tagged paranormal captivity too. I put it into my stories, but I think I'll put it on the, um, the podcast page too on Instagram. It was so cute. It was like morbid, but really cute. It was like these tiny little, like cute, cute little cartoon. Um, it was four different versions of a cat. It was, I think it said something like trick or treating with all of your past lives. And it was like, mm-hmm. a like a cat that like an alive cat dressed up in a costume and then a, a ghost cat and then a skeleton cat and then a zombie cat yeah <laughs> I saw all, that that was very cute oh, it was so <laughs> cute they're all trick-or-treating together oh <laughs> well tune in next time guys we're gonna try to go you know through the whole uh, month of October and do you know weekly pet cemetery updates um, I will say it is more book than I'm used to reading. <laughs> it's a lot of book. It took me like a solid three hours to get through this this morning. Normally when I power read, it takes like an hour, maybe yes. an hour and a half if I take a break. <laughs> but Same. this was like, 
this was this was quite a, a chunk to power through. Same. Yes, I definitely did not schedule enough time to read it. And then as I was like bleary eyed this morning, like I should not have read that much horror in one go. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to do it again next week. <laughs> yep, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, guys, thanks so much for listening. Um, tune into our social media to see the rest of Julia's Halloween Advent costumes. Ooh, um, if you don't yes, know. Yes, yes. She's doing 31 days of costumes in October. Um, yeah, you can find us on on the lines at Paranormal Captivity Pod on Instagram and Paranormal Pod on Twitter. We have a Patreon page where we actually talked in depth about um, all of Julia's costume options and well, thoughts and feelings. Them, but... That's true. She doesn't reveal anything I too must hard. Spoil all of them, but. There were some, like, good sneak previews. Yes, it was super fun. That's on Patreon. So that's uh, patreon.com slash paranormalcaptivity. Um, and what else? Oh, my God, we have a Goodreads. I really need to update that. I'm such a jerk. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> I will update that. Um, we also have a fan page on Facebook. And, um, yeah, we're just... Uh, Happy to be spooking ourselves. And yeah, I'm really uh, ominous and and, uh, wary about the rest of this book. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So bye. See you next time. (laughs) Bye.